Uh, it is really, uh, it's awesome to be here. It really is. Uh, I kind of uh, got emotional uh, driving up because uh, we got to be here for eight years and this place is special. Uh, this ministry is special. Uh, just the way students loved us and um, y'all are awesome. And Joe's awesome. Joe is a friend. He loves Jesus. He loves y'all. Uh, and I know a few of y'all, at least I've recognized you, we got to be together at Yakima uh, last spring break on a mission trip, and that was awesome too. So, uh, really, it's just, man, it's a privilege to be here. Uh, the, uh, y'all been talking about relationships and that you're designed for them and that God has made you body and soul that you want to be known and you want to know others. And part of what that entails is that God made you an emotional person. And so your emotions are always involved in relationship with others and with God. And so they're actually a gift from Him. And what I want to talk about is then, okay, what does it look like to, have, to try to have a healthy relationship with my emotions so that my relationship with God and others is healthy? And I want to begin with a story where back in uh, 2014, UVA did this study involving mostly college students. They volunteered for this. And here, here was the deal. It was, a, it was an empty room, and there was two requirements. Two rules were you cannot fall asleep, and you can't get out of the chair that you're sitting in. And you would have to sit there for 15 minutes in emptiness. And the other thing was there was this thing on your ankle that all of it would shock you. And they all had tested the shock beforehand, and they rated the pain level as five. They all said, I would pay not to have that pain. All right? So then they all do the experiment. They sit there. Twelve out of the 18 men in the study gave themselves a shock rather than to sit there alone. It was something like four of the 18 women did it. And here's what the researchers said. They said, what is striking is that simply being alone with our thoughts for 15 minutes was apparently so adversive that most people self-administered an electric shock that they said they'd pay earlier to avoid rather than to feel what's going on inside of them. They said one guy shocked himself 190 times. So just think about that. That when forced to sit alone with ourselves, our thoughts and our feelings... We would rather administer pain than to see what's going on with us. So my unprofessional opinion is this. We're all just scared of our emotions, and we don't know what to do with them. And so here's the premise. We're going to read Psalm 42, but the Bible is telling us that we're not to deny our emotions. They're a gift from God. We're not also to give in to them as if they're they're the end-all, be-all. Instead, we're to listen to them, We're to understand them, and then we're to pray them. All right, so we're to listen, understand, and pray them. Let me me read Psalm 42. Um, We've already been prayed for. Here's Psalm 42, verse 1. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise and multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? 
Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. The grass where the flowers fade, the word of my God stands forever. All right. So we don't, we, we're not supposed to deny them, nor are we supposed to give in to them as if they're the end all, be all. We're to listen, we're to understand, and then we're to pray them. All right, so listen. All right, Psalm 42. This is a psalm of lament, a psalm of sadness. He is, he is separated uh, from his home. He, enemies have surrounded him. The Lord feels distant. So he cries out to the Lord. And here's what, I, here's what I want you to think about. He is naming, listening to what's going on in his life. And he's naming those emotions. He's sharing it. Right? Verse 1 talks about joy, at least the absence of it. He's saying he's like a deer that's thirsting for water. My soul pants for you. And then he talks about in verse 4 how he wishes he could rejoice and feel the joy back home in the house of God. Verse 3, he names the sadness that's going on in his life. He says, tears have been my food day and night. The image that what's coming out of his mouth is not, and coming into his mouth is not food, but tears, sadness. Why is my soul cast down? Verse 5, he says his soul is in turmoil. He's naming fear. It's this language of this rolling anxiety. And then verse 9 and 10, right, he shares his anger. He's being oppressed. He's being taunted by enemies. He's experiencing injustice. And so all I want you to see is that the psalmist is, he's able to deeply name and share what is going on with him. Sadness, fear, anger, joy, it's actually coursing through it, through him. And he names it, and he shares it with God from an honest place. And so the first thing is this, a real relationship with God, a vibrant relationship with God, and with other people, because we want to be known, means learning how to listen to our emotions and name them and share them. Because think about this. Some of God's promises, he says things like this. He will be near the brokenhearted, and he will comfort those who mourn. God doesn't promise to comfort the buoyant of of spirit who never get down. Because you can't comfort someone who will not be sad. And so we only present a packaged version of ourselves to God and to other people you will miss out on some of the promises of God. Because he wants to be near the real you. He's near the brokenhearted. And so that's my first question. Like, do you ever do that? Do you ever reflect enough to listen to your feelings that you can actually name them and begin to share them? Because whatever a good, healthy relationship with your emotions, with other people, and with God, it entails being able to sit with what's going on with you to know and to share it. And if you're like me, that's just scary. I'm like 41, and I think I'm an emotional maybe second grade. I've grown a little bit, 
But it's scary. And so most of us, we do not listen to our emotions. What we do is we either numb them or we do them. Okay? We numb them, right? Because what emotions do, right, this is what it's doing with the psalmist, is it, re- it exposes our hearts and ex- exposes the tragedy of the world. So things like anger and sadness and fear, it exposes the illusion, it really is illusion, that life is safe, good, and predictable. And that's scary. And so instead of feeling sadness or anger or fear, that's awkward, that's hard, we just numb them. And it's like, man, Netflix is awesome. (laughs) Rather than feeling sad, I would rather binge watch New Girl. That's awesome, you know? Uh, And I don't want tears to be my food day and night. I want, you know... Something else. And so then you just start realizing, like, oh, the college campus has a thousand things that you can numb your emotions with. I don't know, people at Ole Miss drink alcohol excessively. Maybe y'all don't do that here. That happens at Ole Miss. It's an, it, it can numb your emotions. <laughs> Cocaine, weed, eating, staying busy so that I'm so exhausted, exercise, sex, fantasy sports, social media. All those things are good. Well, Cocaine's not good. All those things, scratch that, scratch it, scratch it. But most of those things are good when they're held in the right place, but they're, they're bad when they're used to numb our feelings because they dehumanize us, because they keep us from reality of what's going on with me and the world. And so there's a real sense that, yes, like, can I listen and name rather than numb? Because what you'll begin to realize is those feelings, they're scary, but they cannot, they cannot damage you. Sadness, fear, now sometimes we can do things with those that damage, but they will not damage you. So we either numb or we do our emotions. So instead of listening and understanding what's going on, we let our feelings rule us and we act out. Uh, a counselor I love, John Cox, talks about this all the time. But, so the holes that are in some of your walls or at the fraternity house, that is instead of listening to your feelings, that's doing them, okay? Or if you go to a date party with your girlfriend and she spent some time laughing with her friends and, and she even intentionally talks to some other guys, and you get in the car and you start throwing a pity party, right? And you kind of act like you're, you know, you're sad or whatever, and she says, what's wrong? And you say, nothing. She says, no, what's wrong? And then you just kind of blah, like you talk to other guys. You know, I can't believe you would do that. But that's doing your feelings, okay? Just because you feel it doesn't mean that you inject it on other people in our insecurity, right? Or the, the like, because you didn't get invited to the party or because you found out this was going on and she didn't invite you, that's hard, there's sadness, but the cutting remark that, co- that comes out of you, that's doing your feelings. And most of us, inst- like instead of listening to our emotions, we numb them or we, or, or we do them. Because life feels unstable. Because, because these emotions break our illusion that the world is safe and controllable. But, and this is the, fir- the longest point, the first step is actually to listen and to name, which means reflection and probably being still, which I hate. But then the second thing is, 
understand them. Look what the psalmist does. It's actually really instructive. Verse 5 and verse 11, and then he does it again in chapter 23. Uh, he speaks to himself. He talks to himself. He starts asking himself questions. Why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil? Right? So kind of our culture today says we don't really need to understand or question our feelings. Instead, however you feel, that is reality and just, and just push it on everybody else. And you conform to that, right? I mean, Enneagram 7 said, blah, like, just, just deal with it, right? Uh, but, but the psalmist is saying, actually, what is behind the emotion? Like, what's driving it? What's underneath my sorrow, my fear? Because you'll learn a lot about yourself. So the way I think about it is emotions are like, um, they're like warning lights on your dashboard, dashboard. You know what I mean? So like, you know, think about, it, think about a warning light. What's the function? Something comes on, and it tells you that there's low pressure in your tire. Okay, it's, it's, it's saying something's going on with your car that you need to pay attention to. The, dash, the, t- the light in your dashboard are great tools of information. They reveal what's going on. But if you stare at the dashboard lights while trying to drive, you will wreck the car. That, I, I think that's a metaphor for emotions. Emotions are real. They are are incredibly reliable indicators of what's going on in our heart. But they're usually bad indicators about how to to function in this world, how to drive. So a friend of mine, Stuart Swain, says, they tell us the truth about ourselves and what's going on with us, but they don't necessarily tell us the truth about God and the world all the time. And so understanding our feelings and our emotions, realizing they're great gifts from God because they reveal what's going on with me, enables good relationships with other people and with God because I want to be known. And so he's saying, why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you so scared and fearful? And what emotions begin to, they reveal what, emotions reveal what I care about. Let's put it that way. So emotions aren't problems to be solved they are a cry to be heard because they reveal something you care about deeply. So we should probably pay attention to them. So, again, I'm going to run through these in like four minutes. Think about fear, all right? Fear, when there's something that I value or cherish, and I feel like I don't have the resources to keep it or preserve it, fear. The light, the light board of fear comes on, right? And so we run. So my son, up until about uh, you know a year ago, thankfully this finally stopped. About once a week, my door would spring open at like three a.m. and you'd hear these feet, and he'd just jump into the bed because he had bad dreams and he couldn't control them, and he didn't have the resources to control them. So he ran and he ran into my room. And so when there's fear, you gotta ask yourself, well, what's underneath that? What am I cherishing so much, and I feel like I don't have the resources to to hold it? Like, some of you are afraid of deep relationships. Some of you fear intimacy. Like, real knowing another person, them knowing you. Why? I don't know. But that, that's, what, that's the question worth asking. Because you fear I don't have the resources to keep somebody close if they get close. Anger is the flip side of fear. That when something that I care about gets threatened, anger comes out of that. Right? And usually the intensity of the anger is according to the degree of perceived injustice. So I'm a huge Harry Potter fan. Uh, Goblet of Fire. This might ruin it. I'm sorry. Nice book for it. Uh, 
There, okay, I won't. There's this character, okay, who is actually killed, already a student at Hogwarts, is impersonating another professor. And finally, when Dumbledore figures it out, he's about to kill Harry. Dumbledore, the great wizard, here's what it says. He comes blasting through the door. He knocks out the, ki- the evil character, and it says this. There was a cold fury in every line of Dumbledore's face. A sense of power radiated from Dumbledore as though he was giving off burning heat. No twinkle in the eye behind the spe- spectacles. No benign smile. There was anger. Why was there anger? Because this character was threatening what Dumbledore loved. Harry and Hogwarts. And when it threatened it, anger came out. And so, yes, if you will listen to your anger and say, well, why it is there, you will start seeing what you care about. Why do you hate the guy that is dating your, or, you know, uh, yeah, the guy that's dating your ex? Why? <laughs> why does it bring out so much anger? What, what is being threatened in you? And then you can ask, am I angry about things that God is angry about? Because if he's not angry about it, then maybe I shouldn't be. But at least we'll start revealing those things. Sadness is the emotion that when when there's something that I deeply care about, I've actually lost it. I can't get it back. And it's vulnerable. Because as soon as I I enter sadness, I'm, I'm admitting I cannot get this back. I'm powerless to fix this. And so, you know... Oh gosh, I'm forgetting the name. What's the uh, what's the Disney Pixar movie with all the emotions? Somebody help me. Yes, Inside Out. Right. This is the whole message of Inside Out. Right. Joy and sadness are having this fight, and finally, Joy gives the core memories of the girl to sadness, and she begins to touch them. Everything that was once happy to her about Minnesota and home, sadness touches them, and they become sad, and she can't get them back. And then finally she burst into tears and she says, I know you don't want me, but I miss home. I miss Minnesota. You need me to be happy. I want my old friends and hockey team. I just want to go home. But the interesting thing is that's when she begins to be healed. Because she's leaning into what's true. Something that she's cared about has been lost. Yeah, why are you sad? Your parents didn't quit fighting and they got divorced. Yes, that's a loss. And you need to see that. You're a senior and you realize there's some time I can't get back with my friends. Okay. That's sad. There's a loss there. You didn't get into this organization. Be sad about it. That's, it's, you're, revealing, it, you're revealing to others and to God what you care about and you're admitting I'm powerless to fix it. And then joy is just the emotion that comes from having what you deeply value. So if you start asking, well, what does bring me joy? You will see what you really care about. You know, I don't know if it's still this way, but there is an elation that happens on bid day with Greek organizations around here. An elation that, honestly, from some of you girls, I do not see again until your wedding day. It's very interesting. (laughs) Why? Because you deeply care about wanting to be in. Okay, let's talk about that. And so as you listen, you understand, instead of numbing or doing, you start understanding who you are and what you care about Now you can share that with other people, and you can share it with God. And that's how I'll kind of bring us to a close, is is the psalmist demonstrates that we pray our emotions. That 
And look, I know this can sound simplistic because in 25 minutes we're walking through emotions. This is a lifelong of learning. But Dan Allender, his counselor I love, he says this, we are not machines that are repaired through a series of steps. We're relational beings who are transformed through the mystery of relationships with others and with God. And that involves your emotions. And if you will bring your emotions to God and you begin to struggle with Him in prayer, you will, you will find real growth. This is what the psalmist does, right? He's bringing them to God. He is saying, my soul thirsts for the living God. He's telling his soul to hope in God. And so he's coming to the Lord of this universe with where he honestly is. And if you will do that with God, you will discover there is a real intimacy with God as you share yourself with him. Because here's what you'll discover. Yes, emotions are horizontal on the one hand, but what you'll, what you'll realize is this. I come to God with Him. My emotions at their core always have something to do vertically with God. Um, because I'm limited, because I'm weak, because I'm a creature, because I'm sinful, because I'm powerless, there are things I cannot change. I can't change my past. I can't make time stop. I can't control other people's opinions. And it's scary, but it's true that starts making me starts making me realize my real issue is with God. And I'm doing my emotions and I'm raging against someone because at the heart level I have something against God. The abuse that happened to me, the hard things that happened to me, the suffering that's happened to me, I don't have the power to stop it, but God does and he didn't. And there's a base note of anger that goes to, towards God. And guess what? He can handle it. He wants to deal with the real you. Or I, start, I realize like I'm frenetic about missing out on the, every party. I'm trying to maximize every minute of joy. I've got to maximize it because at the end of the day, I don't think that, that the Lord promises real, substantial, everlasting joy. So I better get it all right now. And as I begin to, to be honest with that about God, you will actually find that you can handle it. Or as I start sharing my sadness, that I realize, like, I can't, I couldn't keep my grandmother here forever, or my, or my friend is dead and she, and she will not come back. And when I come with that sadness to God, it's intimate. And I'll be able to say that, God, you could have done something about this, and you didn't. You love me, and you let this be taken from me. And you will find there is a real intimacy with God as you begin to share that with Him. Because here's what will happen. The second thing is you begin to share it with God, you will actually discover God's heart through your emotions. Because as long as I come to God with my emotions as there are these things to be fixed, instead of, instead of, instead of a place to bring me to God, to know Him and to praise Him, then I'll always try to make God a servant of my emotions. Which He's not. Like, there's this... Um, there's a story of where um, these ten lepers come to Jesus and he heals all ten of them. And they go back to the temple and only one comes back to thank, thank Jesus. Think about those ten lepers. It's really interesting. If you'd run into nine of them, the ones that didn't come back and thank Jesus, they all would have said, I'm so glad I met Jesus because Jesus healed me of my leprosy. Right? One leper would say this, I'm so glad I had leprosy because it meant I met Jesus. And that's very different. Right? The leprosy was a means to get to Jesus. 
And coming to God with your emotions, the, the agenda is not to get my emotional mess resolved. The emotional mess is the gift in the broken world that will bring you to Jesus so you know him better. And that means as you pray through anger and through fear and through tears and you look at God, you will see that who God is, he's supremely revealed in the person of Jesus. And you will get to know God through those things. So if you bring your anger of the evil that's been done to you, that in a real sense, gosh, it shouldn't have happened to you. And I hate that it did. The gossip that tore you down or somebody that took their power and they used it to hurt you. Look at the cross. You will see the anger of God on full display. You'll see Jesus took all the evil of my sin and all his people's sin. He wore all my violence, all my lying, and he let the wrath of God destroy him in my place. And that humbles me. And it makes me see that somehow God is more angry at the injustice that was done to me than even I am. And I can trust that he's going to make it right one day. What, what about when you bring your fear, your fear of failure or your fear of loneliness to God? Right? As, as you begin to work through that with God and you look at God on a cross, you realize that God feared something, that Jesus feared something. Jesus sweat drops of blood before he went to the cross because the thing that he feared was losing the presence of God, God the Father, the one thing that can destroy us. And on the cross, he loses the smile of the Father. So that you never have to. And so he's a strong God who made himself weak and took the one thing that I should fear. Which means, okay, I don't understand everything and all my fears, but if anything touches me, it has to first come through the strong hands of Jesus that took the number one thing that I should fear for me. Bring your sadness to Jesus. The hardship of death and broken things and tears. And if through the tears I will pray and look at the cross... What I will see is that on the saddest and darkest day in world history, God brought about a resurrection. And so somehow I can know that because Jesus loved me, he's sadder about the things that I've lost than I am. And he plunged himself into death and resurrection. He promises that one day all of your sadness will turn into joy. Somehow, some way. And I can trust him with it. And even your joy. Because I can start realizing the best of joys today, friendships, parties, food, they're just a taste of what's to come. And I can, I can talk to him about those things. And so you will actually get to know the heart of God. And lastly, and I'll end here, if you will pray your emotions, share them with God, and also share them with others, you will realize that you're not alone. Because the number one command in the Bible is do not fear, and the number one, prom, and the number one promise is because I'm with you. So if all of our emotions, what you begin to realize is they're ultimately a reflection of God. We serve and worship a God of joy. We serve a God who has wounds of suffering. We serve a God who is angry about death and evil because He's love itself, because He's Emmanuel, He's God with us. And as you pray, you will realize He is with you. I'll go back to Inside Out, right? There's this character, Bing Bong, and he loves his rocket. It's so significant to him. It's what he cherishes. It's infused with memories. And when it's gone forever, he's devastated. And right, Joy, who's scared of sadness, who's like me in Enneagram 7, she's like, we can fix this. It's okay. She starts trying to tickle him and make silly faces like, be okay. And he just doesn't move. 
And then sadness, right? Walks up to Bing Bong, who voiced by Phyllis from the office is often is awesome. And she sits down next to Bing Bong and she just says this, I'm sorry they took your rocket. They took something that you loved. It's gone forever. And Bing Bong starts crying. Sadness reaches out, touches him, says, that's sad. She allows herself to feel what Bing Bong feels. She affirms how hard it's to be. And after they weep, Bing Bong gets up and says, I'm okay now. And he moves on. And Joy has no understanding of that. But it's brilliant because what it's recognizing is when someone will see what's going on with you and enter into it and understand it and be with you, I don't understand it, but it begins a healing. And Jesus is God Emmanuel with you in everything. So it's like, right, my son, I really will end here. Um, I'll be done in under 30 minutes. Fear. When my son comes and runs into my bed because he has a nightmare, Here's what does not work. Son, your nightmare is not real. Go back in bed. What I've realized is he just wants to be with me. That's it. He wants me to be with him in his fear. It was my presence that enables him to go back to sleep. And the ultimate resting place in all of our emotions is not that you understand yourself perfectly and you figured out all this stuff going on with you. Yes, there's maturity in growing that. The resting place is that God understands you perfectly. And he loves the real you. And he's with the real you. And ultimately, our emotions are supposed to lead us to rest in the arms of Jesus. Yes, you'll know yourself, but you'll know him. Because he's the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And you can trust him with whatever's going on with you. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, um...